This talk by John Sutherland called World of Sudden Joy was given in March 2009 at Sarah Gordo Temple. Good evening, Bodhisattvas. We, um, we meet tonight on the cusp of spring, and even though winter is threatening to reassert itself any minute for the next couple of days, still the promise of spring is um, curled up in all the buds on the trees, just waiting to burst out. And I was thinking of um, something our recent ancestor Nakagawa saw and said. He said, um, in the midst of winter, I found invincible spring. And it's that invincible spring that I want to talk about tonight. Um, Last week in the koan salon, we began working with a koan that goes, the stone woman gives birth in the middle of the night. And we really dove into it this week. And um, that stone woman is an old uh, Chan and Zen image for the vastness or emptiness, shunyata. It's that thing which doesn't change, doesn't move, is, is perfect and complete in and of itself. And then this miraculous thing happens that into the darkness of the void, um, the vastness gives birth to everything, to everything that is. And that is the, you know, the fundamental and great mystery of life. And I want to focus on that tonight, on the fundamentally miraculous nature of things. Because we spend um, a lot of time, as we need to, talking about um, how we deconstruct the obstacles that stand between us and life. How we deconstruct the things that cause us suffering and cause us to cause suffering to others. And we work really hard, and it takes years sometimes, and mostly... And, um, you know, we're diligent and we sit and we come to retreats and we really do work hard at it. So just for tonight on the cusp of spring, I want to remind us that we do all that not as a particularly intense and painful self-improvement project, but because of the fundamentally miraculous nature of life. Because what we're trying to do is to be aware of that, to participate in that more and more often. And to do that is not to elevate our state or go to some higher plane or you know, do anything like that. It's actually to get more realistic about the way things are. If things are, if that things are, is fundamentally miraculous, if that there is this giving birth and dying and giving birth again going on all the time of all of life out of what is perfectly still and whole, if that's the way things are, then the more we can see that, the more we can understand that, the more realistic we're being about the nature of life. So... Um, uh, some people talked in the, uh, in the salon about this koan of, of things that happened in the night with the koan, which is, of course, perfect. And so 
Uh, I woke up at four o'clock this morning with this talk fully formed and ready to go. So this is the Dharma talk <laughs> born in the middle of the night and not the first to come like that and, and I hope not the last. Um, at the same time in this springy week where we were talking about that koan, uh, on, um, I also went to a, a Purim celebration um, Purim is the Jewish holiday that, that uh, celebrates the story that's told in the book of Esther. And it's a really happy occasion. It's a really celebratory thing. And I was talking to the, um, to the rabbi, who's a, a teacher of Kabbalah, and he was saying that, that Esther is the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God. I thought, well, that's interesting. What's that about? And he said, well, it's because it covers up the true thing that um, there's a deeper story that's covered by the story of Esther. And um, at the end of days, all of that will be revealed. And I said, well, what's the end of days like? And he said, he said um, the end of duality and everybody will laugh. <laughs> so I thought, that's a pretty good end of days, to the end of duality and everybody laughing. And so um, then, of course, I asked, well, what's the deeper story that... The, that uh, the book of Esther is covering and he said um, that everything that occurs is miraculous so there we are again you know we're right back with the stone woman giving birth in the middle of the night everything that occurs is miraculous so um, what I hope is that we get flashes of that as we go and then we get more flashes of that and then the flashes kind of start linking up a little bit and we have whole hours or days or weeks or months or years that are like that uh, that's my my spring hope for all of you in this practice and I mean that really deeply that is what I hope for everyone in this room and everyone else in our sangha that we know that more and more and those moments become more and more continuous. So for some reason that isn't um, rationally apparent to me but makes perfect intuitive sense, I started thinking about one of our ancestors with whom I feel a great affinity. He was a Chinese teacher named Dawei who lived in the 12th century. And um, there were a couple of really interesting things about him, one of which is that um, he really valued and honored women and invited them to come work with him and made women his successors. And that was relatively rare. And so one of the great treasures of, of Dawei's temple is that we have all these records of what it was like for women to be practicing a thousand years ago. We don't have very much of that, so it's really, it's really precious. And so we know that um, he invented the way of working with koans that we still use today. It's called the Watto method. And what that means is that, that before that, people were working with the koan as a whole, even if it was really long. And what Dawei found was that there was a piece of the koan that was the salient part, the part that you would take into your meditation. So um, you would end up with something like uh, what is most intimate, even though there was a whole story that came before that. And you would take the story into account, but what you would sit with is what is most intimate. And what was interesting about that was that it was that way developed as a creative collaboration between Dawei and one of his women students, Miao Dao. 
And um, it was in their work together that, that he refined and clarified this way of working, which is the way I still work with people today. Uh, and she was the first person to have, great, to have a great awakening with it. And um, the quality of the kinds of awakening that Dawei was um, making a field for in his time, I, I think really comes through in, um, in something he said. Someone asked him once, well, what, what is it like when you awaken? And he said, uh, you see the sun in the hands of an old woman selling fans. So there again we have the, you know, the fundamentally miraculous nature of life. You see the sun in the hands of an old woman selling fans. Um, the other thing that was interesting about him was that he was um, politically active. And um, during his life, there was a minister who... Um, oh, no, I want to tell you one more story first. No, I don't. I'll tell you the story first. There was a minister who came along and, um, and tried to impose a kind of um, ed- an educational system that involved the old classics, but his take on all the old classics. So it was really a system of indoctrination rather than teaching. And Dawei held up the koans as a form of inquiry in contrast to this indoctrination that was trying to be um, sort of rammed through the the government. And for his pains, he was um, sent into exile and um, suffered a lot. Half the monks who were with him died uh, in their exile. But eventually um, he came. He came back. So I'm. I'm interested in that sort of, for him, quite obvious connection between the inquiry of this way and um, the, the the natural stand against totalitarianism and indoctrination as well. So he he, the other side eventually lost, and he came back into favor. And the last story I'll tell you about, one of the women around him was called the Lady of Chin, and she was the mother of the Prime Minister. So she was um, a woman probably with a pretty busy social dance card, you know, all the time. But she was a serious student of Zen. And uh, it's recorded, and this is, you know, this is like the official record in, in, in the record of Dawei's temple, that uh, she worked on no. Uh, she worked on it very hard and very studiously and then and one day she suddenly broke through and she stood up as if she were in the meditation hall which means she wasn't in the meditation hall she was somewhere in the midst of her busy life and she stood up and she she experienced a sudden world of joy and I love that the old very dry Chinese chronicles talk about this sudden world of joy and again that's another way of talking about the awakening that we're talking about so here's a an evocation of that Um, one of Dawei's political comrades had a daughter named Li Qingzhao, who was one of the greatest poets in Chinese history. And um, she had a, a life that was quite rich and full. And she knew great happiness and also great sorrow in her life. And a lot of her poetry is about um, kind of reconciling the fundamentally joyful and fundamentally sorrowful nature of life. And so she reminds us that when I'm talking about 
this joy, this world of sudden joy, or an invincible spring, or seeing the sun in someone's hands. I'm not talking about everything being happy all the time. It's something so much deeper and stranger than that. Uh, We can feel deep sorrow and still be connected to that joy. It's really possible to do that, to feel the sorrow all the way out to the edges. And that's really what it's about. Sorrow and fear and disappointment and anger and all of those emotions we think of as afflictive, um, it's not that they themselves are a problem. What becomes a problem is when we go dead inside them. To feel grief and to feel it all the way out to the edges is no problem at all. If you really loved someone and they've died, where else would you rather be? What else would you rather be doing than grieving that loss? But if you go dead inside of it, that's when you're really in trouble. I can't remember if it was... um, um, What's the guy? The name is Gone with the Wind. I can't remember if it was Gone with the Wind, but one of those movies like that, there's a scene where someone's getting dressed, and you see a woman sort of in her underclothes, and then they come in with this contraption, which is the skirt hoop, you know, and it's about six feet in diameter, and it's, you know, and they tie it to her waist, and then the skirt sort of falls out over it. And so she's walking around inside this sort of cage all the time, you know. And um, there's something about going dead inside of our sorrow or our anger, or our disappointment, or our fear, that's like being trapped inside this kind of hoop, you know, or being trapped inside of a cocoon, and we wither inside of the cocoon, and so it never breaks, and nothing else ever happens. We in the cocoon just wither and dry up together. So when I talk about a world of sudden joy, and awakening, and all of that, um, I'm, I'm not talking about a state of the absence of difficult things. I'm talking about a state of living difficult things right out to the edge. And in doing that, in being willing to take that on, to uh, staying connected to that deep joy underneath everything, even in the midst of difficulty. Um. In another conversation I had with a rabbi, I was talking about how th- this tradition has a lot of names for this awakening. There's awakening and enlightenment and realization and seeing your true nature and becoming intimate and all this stuff. And he said this beautiful thing. He said, a language that contains many words for the same thing is being spoken by a people who really understand that thing. And I thought that was so beautiful. If you have a lot of words for something, it means you really understand it because you have a very differentiated and subtle relationship with it. And I thought, yeah, we do have that. We, we should own that. We should claim that as ours. This is, this is our great gift, is this deep and subtle and long-lasting um, relationship with awakening that isn't something that happened in the past. It's something that's happening right now, right here in this room, amongst all of us. And, you know, that is our deep legacy. That is our deep heritage. And here on the cusp of spring, let's not forget that. Let's remember that. Okay? Okay. So, 
um, back to Li Qingzhou, um, she wrote a, a poem about this. Uh, and it goes like this. And she, the way she wrote in a particular form that was set to the rhythms of popular songs. So it has this lovely long snaky line, which is different than a lot of Chinese poems that are these sort of quatrains and couplets. So anyway, she wrote, Often I recall that day, the river pavilion in the setting sun, and we too drunk to know the way home. Our high spirits fled. We started to return late in our boat, but were confused and entered deeply a place where the lotus flowers were in full bloom. And struggling to go through, struggling to go through, we startled a whole sandbank of herons into flight. So there's a time, the river pavilion and the setting sun, and then things go sideways a little bit, you know, and you're drunk and confused and tired and you just want to go home. And you lose the way and you're struggling in the boat and you're so intent on getting home and on having your high spirits fled and all the rest of it that you don't even notice that what's hanging you up is flower and lotuses. You you don't even see that. You just see the struggle. And then all of a sudden, there's this great whoosh and roar as an entire sandbank of herons rises up in front of you. And anybody who's gone down to the Bosque del Apache knows what that looks like. It's a magnificent, magnificent thing. And suddenly, you know, your relationship with the deep awakening of the world is restored suddenly you're connected again to that sudden joy. So I'll say it again. Often I recall that day, the river pavilion in the setting sun, and we too drunk to know the way home. Our high spirits fled. We started to return late in our boat, but were confused and got lost, entering deeply a place where the lotus flowers were in full bloom. And struggling to go through, struggling to go through, we startled a whole sandbank of herons into flight. So I wish you sandbanks of herons. I wish you uh, struggling through the lotus flowers and noticing that that's what you're doing. I wish you a connection this, just for tonight, we can go back to the hard work tomorrow. But no, from between now and the vernal equinox. <laughs> Hold on to the, the beauty of our heritage. Hold on to the promise of awakening. Hold on to that deep joy that we might connect with in moments, but the moments get longer and become more continuous. And it is possible to have a life always connected to that deep joy. So for the next week, just try to believe that and try to live as if that were true. Okay? Happy spring. This talk is offered as a benefit for members of Awakened Life. If you would like to become a member or give Donna to John Sutherland, please visit awakenedlife.org.